You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a new show of The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, what is going on, my friends? Very excited this weekend. I'm getting to see my uncle for the first time in eight months. He lives in Florida. It's actually the first time since my grandfather's funeral, so we finally get to see him in a more uh, happy setting. So I'll, my family and my, my cousins, aunt and uncles, will be coming together to see him and uh, my cousin Adam as well. That's nice. Uh, family reunions are always sensational. Not my family, of course, but your family. I guess you guys are just so... Very, very close. We have a great show lined up for you guys. A little bit later in the show, we'll be talking to founder of pro football guru, Russell Baxter. Used to work for ESPN. He has a lot of great knowledge when it comes to football and what's going on, obviously, with the whole Klecko situation and all that other stuff. So we'll get into a little bit of everything with Russell Baxter. We're going to get into Zach Wilson, his injury, his meniscus surgery. Two to three weeks, I would say about four weeks, he'll be sitting out the Jets already have come out and said that they will not play him unless he is 100% healthy. So we'll get into Zach Wilson in just a few moments. We'll get into Deshaun Watson, which seems to be a story after a story as he decides to negotiate a deal with the NFL to take, instead of six games, 11 games, and he will pay the NFL $5.5 million in fees after this whole debacle Uh, with the massage situation. So we'll get into a little bit of that. Lamar Jackson gives the Ravens week one deadline to negotiate a new contract. Lamar Jackson is his own agent, and he has come out and said that he wants Kyler Murray money, and if he doesn't get Kyler Murray money, he will not sign a contract after the season starts. So it's going to be very interesting because if he has a MVP kind of season, what are the Baltimore Ravens going to do in the offseason? Do they go after a quarterback? Uh, they did have a good draft this year, but this draft class has about five or maybe even six quarterbacks that could be very, very good moving forward in their NFL career. So a lot of teams will have and take their pick at that position in next year's draft class. So we'll get into a little bit of that. The Yankees have played absolutely horrible baseball. We'll get into the Yankees' woes. It has a lot to do with injuries and the bullpen woes, which was one of their strengths in the beginning of the season, has fallen off. They went from the top bullpen in baseball to, like, I think 12th or 11th in all of baseball. So they have fallen apart, the Yankees. The Mets, they just played the Braves. They lost 3-4, to four, but they have a big series against Philadelphia this weekend, so we'll get into to Philadelphia and the Mets. Uh, We will also get into the New York Knicks as the new improved young Jazz and Danny Ainge reaches out to the New York Knicks and finally might negotiate a deal that actually makes sense as the Knicks are trying to get Donovan Mitchell and move forward before preseason starts. And I I believe this is going to happen very, very soon. We will also talk a little bit about this Kadri thing. I have been nabbed on social media for the last couple of days with this Kadri situation. And, And listen, if you're an Islander fan right now, now, you shouldn't be happy. Lou Lamorello 
has done nothing this offseason that really stands out, especially a weakness that they had going into the offseason was offense. Kadri they lost out on. They lost out on Goudreau. They lost out on so many different offensive, talented players that were available. And I don't know what Lou's doing. I'm going to trust that Lou knows what he's doing because he's been successful in the NHL. It's kind of alarming when you're three, four weeks out of preseason and you still haven't brought an offensive player to help out Barzell, which, by the way, after this year, Barzell's a free agent. And if Barzell doesn't get another offensive type of player to play with him, that could be goodbye to Barzell, just as much as we remember with John Tavares. So... I don't think any Islander fan wants to hear that, but it could be true. So we'll get into a little hockey. Uh, obviously, Moneyline Mania, which has in the crew. We'll talk a lot about everything that's going on in sports and, of course, crunch time. But let's get into Zach Wilson. I will say this once and for all. For all you Jet fans sitting here and thinking that Zach Wilson is not going to be 100% healthy going into the season. Zach is going to miss at least one game of the regular season. I do believe that. And it'll probably be the Baltimore Ravens. It is fitting to give Joe Flacco the opportunity to knock off his former team, which he won a Super Bowl with. But I do believe Zach Wilson will be back in week number two. Zach Wilson has a lot to prove this year. The Jets have a lot to prove this year. The moves that Joe Douglas made and Robert Sala and what he has said at the press conferences and, and the confidence level of some of these players. We heard Brees Hall and Michael Carter and Elijah Moore. Everybody speaking so highly of this team. If you haven't checked Jets One Drive on YouTube, you have to check it out, ladies and gentlemen. Because it, it really gives you what information you need about the New York Jets and how they feel going into this season in 2022. Zach Wilson has an opportunity to really take control of this team. Something that Mark Sanchez couldn't do. Geno Smith couldn't do. Brett Favre couldn't do. Brownie Nagel, O'Brien, Vinny Testaverde did. Even Chad Pennington at one point. I The last person out of control of this team in some way was Mark Sanchez, but that was only for like two years. Zach Wilson has a chance to be the franchise quarterback of this team. Zach Wilson has an opportunity to take this team to the next level Something the Jets have not been consistent of being for the last 11 seasons. The Jets have the longest tenure in not making the playoffs in all of the NFL. That should be alarming for every Jet fan. And, and Zach Wilson is the piece. He is the missing puzzle piece, hopefully, to get this team over the hump where they can be consistently back into the playoffs every single season. And it's not going to be easy because the AFC just got harder. Russell Wilson... That new and improved Las Vegas Raiders. The L.A. Chargers. We could go up and down some of these rosters. And Deshaun Watson, who will miss 11 games, and we'll get into that in just a few moments. When he gets back, that Cleveland Brown team is loaded. Pittsburgh's defense is loaded with a new quarterback, of course. Baltimore Ravens, the draft that they had, the offseason they had, they're going to be fantastic this year if they could stay healthy. And then there's the Bengals that were in the Super Bowl last year, which upgraded their offensive line, which was their weakness last season. We didn't even get into the AFC East with the Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins, and obviously the New England Patriots. Zach Wilson has a big X on his chest. He needs to show up in games. He needs to play better. He needs to stop forcing balls into seams that don't make sense. Stop throwing the ball to linebackers. Letting offensive linemen be the reason why you can't make a play in the open field and cry about it. And everybody says he doesn't cry, but it's hard to believe 
that he hasn't cried on and off set when he's talking to the press. Zach Wilson has a chance to prove himself. I want to see Zach Wilson go out there and show everybody why the Jets drafted him at number two, why they gave up on Sam Donald, why they believe that he is the franchise of this organization for the next 10 to 12 years. Zach Wilson is the key. It don't matter what this defense is going to be. It doesn't matter what sauce is going to be. It doesn't matter if Brees Hall becomes an all-world running back and Michael Carter Jr. becomes that superstar running back that we expected coming from North Carolina last year. Or Garrett Wilson. Or Elijah Moore. It all stems from one guy, and that's the quarterback. The guy that runs everything under center. This defense should be good. They didn't look good in the preseason game against the Eagles in the first two drives. But on paper, this defense should be as good as any defense in the AFC. The question still lies on one-third of this team. You know what that one-third is? Zach Wilson. A huge one-third in a quarterback-driven league. You're going to need to get this injury dealt with properly and so far it's a good start it was a only a small meniscus tear which was a good sign for Zach Wilson he might only miss one maybe two games at the most from what it seems like these reports have been saying and that's a good thing now you're absolutely right Zach Wilson is going to have to use this time to learn from his mistakes grow his game because what he did in the preseason looked like the beginning of last season when he was making those bad reads making those first read throws and forcing it into tight coverages not reading defense as well That'll be a big test for him. And now Joe Flacco back on the roster, too. Something that did help him in the second half of the season. Learn from Joe Flacco when he was sitting out, when Mike White was playing and stuff like that. And hopefully that could help him grow his game more. But that's a good sign for a guy that relies on his legs a lot, can throw on the run well, and is going to have to take that next step in order to make a difference. Because you need to have at least an above-average quarterback in this league in order to succeed. You don't necessarily need an elite quarterback all the time, but you need somebody that is competent to lead an offense and spread the ball around. And Zach Wilson needs to be able to take that step with all this talent now around him. And he's going to be able to do that now a little bit healthier than expected, but still having to heal from this injury. So we'll see if he can make that difference. The question will always and still stand out to be, is Zach Wilson fit to be a New York Jet? Is Zach Wilson the future of this organization? And that's why I say one-third, because one-third is a big piece, a big chunk of a team. Tom Brady was one-third of the New England Patriots. That's why the Patriots were who they were all those years. Like it or love it, Tom Brady was the reason. All these quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers. Now, I'm not saying Zach Wilson is anywhere close to the top quarterbacks in this league. But if he is even in the top 10 of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league, well, that tells you they can win. The Jets could win with a top-end defense, with a good running game, and a top 10 quarterback. You can win. And especially in today's NFL, with a quick trigger that a lot of these teams have. We saw it with the Cardinals, with Josh Rosen, right to Kyler Murray. If you have any stretch of bad showing, they might move on from you right away that quickly. Now, some of them have been with veteran upgrades, too. We saw the Rams do it with Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford. But nevertheless... If you're an underwhelming quarterback, you're going to be let go of much faster than you ever would have thought you would have been before. And what we'll get into in just a couple minutes is another example of that with the Browns. And that leaves me to Deshaun Watson. I will say this. Deshaun Watson, I have been sticking up for since day one. And the reason why I stick up for him is because I do believe that some of these stories are completely appalling and fake. But the fact that he took this deal 11 games and he's paying the NFL $5.5 million of fees on what he did on and off the field. It shows you that he's guilty. Nobody in their wildest dreams 
would take an 11-game suspension practically the whole season. That means he's only going to play six games. Practically tells you that the Browns are not even going to make the playoffs this year unless some incredible thing happens. And Jacoby Brissett has one of those seasons where he's 7-4. and four. And I don't think that's going to happen. That means this season is a lost season for a Browns team that's paying a quarterback that hasn't played for three seasons, counting this year. That, to me, is alarming. And then you have Baker Mayfield over there with the Carolina Panthers. If somehow this team gets into the playoffs with Baker Mayfield and he has one of those unbelievable seasons, do you know how much heartbreak those Brown fans are going to have after they booed this man off the field week in and week out last year because he had a hurt shoulder? And I'm talking about Baker. Deshaun Watson right now is a laughingstock of the NFL. He's a laughingstock. And even with me sticking up for him, and a lot of people has stuck up for Deshaun Watson because there's no hidden proof besides three ladies that he did anything wrong. And even with those three ladies, there is no proof he did anything wrong because he's not going to criminal court. It's all civil. But this is an embarrassment. The Cleveland Browns, who have been an embarrassment of an organization, sit here and decide to take a quarterback, and a fantastic quarterback. I think one of the elite quarterbacks in his league. Top four, top three. I think he's better than Patrick Mahomes. I could say it over and over again. It doesn't really matter. The fact is, he has absolutely shocked everybody for what he was playing for Clemson all those years, winning a national championship, two unbelievable games in those national championship games, and then show up to the NFL, do the things that he did with the Texans, which was nothing, except put up numbers, and then demand himself out of that team, away from that team, to go to another team where he embarrassed himself. There's no reason to not want to get out of that team. There's plenty of corruption on the Texans, too, as we know from previous players saying uh, their ownership has done a lot of racist and bad things in the past, too. Andre Johnson, Arian Foster. So nothing wrong with wanting to get rid of that, uh, get out of that situation. But nevertheless, yeah, there's definitely some kind of guilt that definitely comes from this. 11 games. $5 $5 million in terms of trying to get those other settlements in because a lot of those settlements, some of them might be telling the truth, some of them are not. But yeah, definitely looking more guilty now. But the worst part of it too is the, is what the Browns are going to have to deal with now, like you were saying, with the roster being kind of wasted this year because I think it's a brilliant roster that, that Andrew Berry's put together probably outside of the quarterback and maybe the receiving depth a little bit. But beyond that, you're looking at a roster that is going to be wasted because a lot of these guys are going to have to get paid next year and you're not going to be able to keep everybody. So... Deshaun Watson's cap hit this year, $9.39 million. And guess what it gets up to the next four years? $55 million after that. Pretty much every single year. So good luck trying to keep all these other players that are very There's good. There's no way they're going to be able no. to keep Nick Chubb. And that's going to be a huge problem. They're going to be looking for a running back in next year's draft class because Kareem Hunt doesn't want to be there. Nick Chubb's going to want big money. They obviously just brought in Omari Cooper, in, obviously, in a trade. Right. You're taking on a big contract there. So I don't know where they're going to have this money to bring back some of these players. And they just paid Ward a huge contract. So my question here is, is it worth it? Was it worth it bringing in Deshaun Watson? Only the Browns are going to be able to answer that. Now, Deshaun Watson has proven that he can win with a subpar team. He can win. He's had unbelievable numbers with the Texans, and that team was absolutely horrible. So can he win? Yeah, he can win. But is he going to win a Super Bowl? That's going to be the question. How many playoff wins does Deshaun Watson have? One. One. In how many years? He's not Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes got lucky. He's on Kansas City. He's got an all-world coach. He's got an all-world team. Maybe not this year, but over the years he has. 
That's going to be a huge problem. And Deshaun Watson has a lot to prove. He really does. Because you also have to think, is he going to come back the same way either? Yes, he was a top five quarterback three years ago in his prime. Absolutely was an elite quarterback. Will he be the same? We've seen players of other positions have trouble getting back if after they sit out a year or go through major injuries that were great. And they just fall off very quickly, especially offensive players now too. And the Browns now having already paid some other star players are going to have to make sure they can restructure this contract in order to just balance the depth out of this team. Deshaun Watson, if he wants to have any shot at winning with this team, is going to have to maybe, I don't know if there's a limit to restructuring the contract, but maybe take $4 million, $5 million from each season and put it into this season. Just eat the money this year. You know you're not probably not going to make the playoffs, barring, like you're saying, a miracle from Jacoby Brissett, and try to make this work, because 11 games is a lot going to be able, a lot to handle. Now, it's about what I expected. I was thinking 10 games would be the suspension, and they would reduce the fine, which they ended up doing, but still, that's going to be a hefty, hefty thing in a very hard AFC. And then there's Lamar Jackson with this contract dispute. I am very surprised that he doesn't have a contract, but we all know what Baltimore likes to do. The last time they gave a quarterback a lot of money was Joe Flacco, and Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. So, if he won wants, and Lamar Jackson wants this big-time contract, he's going to have to go out there this year and take this team to an AFC title game and show that he is the quarterback of the future of this organization, because they could be looking and lurking for a quarterback in next year's draft class where probably fits the offense that they really want to run. They changed that offense really for the last couple of years because it fit Lamar Jackson's game. It's not an NFL-style offense. It never has been. It's really a college offense. So to work in the NFL, you got to be a quarterback that can change the way teams see you to be on the field. Now, I don't know if Lamar Jackson's that type of quarterback. I think he's more of a run-first, throw-second type of quarterback, and that has not worked over the years. Obviously, the game has changed with Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. We've seen the non-pocket, full-present quarterbacks succeed in the NFL and win Super Bowls. But again, this game is a transitional game, and I don't know if Lamar Jackson can transition into a pocket-press quarterback, and that's where I think he needs to transition his game to prove to the Baltimore Ravens when the going gets tough and when they need him to stand in the pocket and make plays, he'll be able to do that. Yeah, that's why I'm surprised it was actually his decision of making it a week one deadline and not the Ravens. I would have thought that would have been more of a team-oriented thing because he has struggled in the playoffs massively. Even the one game he won, he had that one big touchdown run, but he didn't play great against the Titans when they won that game. He didn't play well against the Chargers either. He did not play well against the Chargers. He didn't play well against the Bills last year. Remember, that game was 10-3, to and the only touchdown was a defensive touchdown, a pick six from Buffalo. So he has a lot to prove. So I'm surprised that was the incentive that he wanted to put on. So maybe it shows he doesn't trust what the Ravens do. And Maybe the Ravens, again, they're going to have to get to some kind of compromise because you're right. They're not known to give out these big contracts, but also is the new wave of the league where you're trying to have to get these quarterbacks this money. And the Ravens, outside of Flacco, I mean, granted, they're a young franchise, have never developed quarterbacks great. They've developed everything else outside of wide receivers very well. So that's an interesting scenario they're going to have. Do they move on and maybe start from scratch and draft a controllable young rookie quarterback? Because they have pretty much everything else on the roster. They could afford to trade up and make a big trade in the draft if they want to. Or do they give them the money and try to make the depth work. But it seems like Lamar Jackson does not trust the front office right now, and that's why he has this ultimatum week one, or I'm not getting paid. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some baseball conversation. The New York Yankees are absolutely horrible right now. I don't know what's going on with this team. Is there a move to make before season's end? Is Aaron Boone on his way out? I don't know. If this team doesn't find their offense and this team doesn't find their legs, Aaron Boone could be looking for a new job before the playoffs even begin. The Yankees need 
need to figure it out. The Mets, they came out of series with the Atlanta Braves. It hasn't looked great, but they have a big series against Philadelphia, a very hot Philadelphia team this weekend. If they can come out winning two out of the three games, the Mets will be in very good shape. So when we come back, we'll get into the Yankees and the New York Mets here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Aaron Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. As you know, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, and searching WWSRN or going to Android and their Play Store and looking us up at the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, I will get into the Yankees first because the Yankees really have been the embarrassment of New York. And to say whatever you want about what they had in the beginning of the season and going into the All-Star break and how many All-Stars they had on one team, To me right now, the Yankees are as bad as any team in the majors. And maybe it is because of DJ LeMayu's injury or John Carlos Stanton's injury or all these injuries in that offense, which that lineup has been absolutely putrid. But not only that, this rotation, which was one of their strengths going into the second half, has been one of their weaknesses. Their bullpen, where they had the best closer in baseball in Holmes, he's out on the IL. He has been absolutely horrible since the All-Star break. Everything the Yankees have touched in the second half of the season has turned to stone. How many lousy goose eggs do the Yankees have to put up to figure things out? They were up in this division almost 13 games going out of the All-Star break. Now there are only nine games up on the Blue Jays and the Tampa Bay Rays. They cannot let these two teams catch them because if that happens, they're going to be playing chase all the way through to the end of the season. Aaron Judge... He's played better than every single player on this team, but that's not saying much. Aaron Judge has been in a little bit of a slump. They need Giancarlo Stanton to come back. They need DJ LeMayu to come back. They need this rotation to figure things out. And Montas, and I'll say this to be very, very nice about it, he has been absolutely horrible. Now, I don't know what's going on in his head. Maybe the fact that one of his family members passed away before he was traded to the Yankees. I don't know what it is. But the Yankees need to figure this out. They cannot go into the playoffs with Garrett Cole, and he's not even a sure thing. Or Nesta Cortez, who hasn't been a sure thing in the second half. Taon, who hasn't been a sure thing in the regular season in the second half. This has been an absolutely embarrassing last couple of weeks. And Brian Cashman did everything he needed to do at the trade deadline to make this team better. Adding Andrew Benatendi, who actually has been hitting for the Yankees. Bader, who hasn't played yet. Jordan Montgomery is 3-0 right now with the St. Louis Cardinals. And Bader hasn't even stepped on a baseball field for the Yankees. We just talked about Frankie Montaz, who he hasn't been good. Trevino's been all right in the bullpen. Nothing to brag about. Everything that the Yankees have done besides Ben Attendee hasn't been good. And that's not Brian Cashman's fault. He did what he was supposed to do. These players need to show up. They need to play hard. They need to have a soul. On that field. Watch the Mets play. Look at the players. Look how happy the players are when one player hits a home run. That has not been the Yankees. I don't want to hear about Donaldson's game-winning grand slam home run against Tampa when you practically almost got swept at home by a team that you're better than. It has been an absolutely embarrassing last couple of weeks. I would say the last six weeks has been embarrassing for the New York Yankees. And Aaron Boone needs to wake up. He needs to do something to get this team to start playing. Because if he doesn't, 
This team will not be in first place, and this could be one of those catastrophical seasons where you had one of the best records we've ever seen in the first half of a season and then completely fall off and don't make the playoffs. Yeah, that would be catastrophic if that's the case. The only collapse I remember seeing that was that bad was the 2006 Tigers in the regular season when they were up by almost 20 games at the All-Star break to the Twins, and somehow they ended up still going to the World Series after that. They found their groove back in the postseason before losing against the Cardinals in the World Series, but you don't see them like that that often when you have these double-digit leads at the All-Star break and make it work, but yeah, there's a lot of factors to that. Frankie Montez, like you were mentioning, rough, rough go of it in three starts, nine ERA since he's joined the Yankees so far. Again, we'll see what the family situation so far. Maybe you give him the benefit of the doubt. I used to have this problem with the Mets too all the time. They always force guys to pitch right before they either left for a paternity leave or something like that or a death in the family type thing and they always struggled. Then maybe Montez is going through that right now type thing, but if he struggles for two more starts, yeah, that's definitely worrisome for a guy that you traded away a lot of good pieces in order to get, too. And a lot of these other bullpen pieces, too, seem so out of whack from where they were since Michael King got hurt because they were very well set in those particular roles. And these are guys that are versatile. I'm not saying they are one-role pitchers, but it seems like they got rattled since they're going into those new roles and haven't been able to adjust. Araldis Chapman has been used in so many different spots since he's come back, which he hasn't been comfortable with in yet. Clay Holmes, like you were saying, is in a massive drought right now. And a lot of these other young pitchers, too, have really struggled. And with the hitting, the Yankees have had this problem before. You can't have one or two guys carry your offense and expect to win on a consistent basis and win against contending teams. They've done this in the past. Giancarlo Stanton carried them for one second half. I think he was 2018. And the rest of the guys couldn't hit. They struggled in the playoffs against the Red Sox. Aaron Judge has had stretches where he's done that, too. LeMahieu, when he first came to the Yankees, he was the only one hitting. Like, you're not going to be able to maintain consistency if you're doing it things like that. And that's what they're in right now. And now if Aaron Judge slumps, too. Who knows what could happen? And that's why I'm worried about this Yankee team. I wasn't worried about them last week. You heard what I said. I'm not worried about them, but this is another week. If you look at the games that the Yankees have played this week, I think the Yankees have played six games, and they have scored all together one game where they had the the Grand Slam home run from Donaldson, knocked off the Tampa Bay Rays 8-7. Besides that game, they have scored no more than one run in every single one of those games. And what does that tell you about this offense? You can't go into the playoffs like this. You're a better offensive team than half these teams in the major leagues. And these teams, like the Blue Jays, are outscoring you. There's something wrong, and maybe it is injury. But that's not an excuse. You're a professional baseball team. You have great players on your bench. This has to change if the New York Yankees plan to make the playoffs and make a run for the World Series this year. And even going back to last week, too, outside of one game against Seattle, they won the first game of that series. They lost one nothing. They lost 4-3. to three. The Red Sox series, they won one game, but they didn't score more than three runs in any of those games either. So this is a drought that is very unheard of for a team as deep offensively, you would think, as the Yankees. Just so many people just slumping all at once. And I don't know how many are flukes, how many are not from where they were in the first half of the season, because they had a lot of guys that were all-stars. Glaber Torres is a good player. We know that. They have a lot of talent in this lineup, but again, there's a lot of guys that are just like randomly flaming out, and all at once, that cannot happen, especially with the way the pitchers have been going, too. Garrett Cole's been very streaky in the second half. Nestor Cortez has been fine, but not the Cy Young candidate he was for the first two and a half months of the season, either. Something definitely will have to change with this team. I'm not worried about it in terms of missing the playoffs completely, but there's definitely a chance the Rays, because they're getting hitters back. The Rays have had a lot of injuries in their lineup all season four key guys out if they can make a run with their pitching they might have to watch out for that the Blue Jays I'm not as worried about because their pitching depth is still questionable to me as far as the Mets are concerned they're just playing great baseball besides the Braves series they're hitting 
out of pop. They're pitching great. I mean, Max Scherzer, even Jacob DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom lost the other day, but he still pitched a pretty good game. What did he give up? Two runs? Mm-hmm. He's been dominant since he's come back. This rotation is as good as any rotation in baseball. So there's really nothing. Peter Alonso just hit his first home run in 56 at-bats last night against the Philadelphia Phillies. So if he gets back with his power after the All-Star game, and, and that's what usually happens. You go in that home run derby, it messes up your swing. And maybe it messed up his swing coming into the second half, but nevertheless, he has 102 RBIs. He's got 30 home runs. That's what you expect from a power bat at first base position. Yeah, he, I hadn't homered, I think, since the game I was at on July 24th, where he gave the Mets the lead in that one against the Padres. But yeah, had a massive drought when it came to power. Now he was still getting on base. He was still contributing in other areas. But still, when you're having a drought like that, sometimes that can drag a team down. Like, like I was mentioning with the Yankees, sometimes having one guy carry them at certain points in the season. The Mets haven't had that kind of issue at any point where they have had a massive losing streak. Now, three out of four lost against the Braves just recently. Yeah, they had some trouble holding leads late. Their bullpen still... At the trade deadline, not doing much, looked very questionable. Even the game they won, they were up 6-1 to one and held on to win 9-7. to seven. So still some question marks in that bullpen for the Mets. But a lot of thing, good things to like within that lineup. A lot of guys as well are adapting to different spots in the lineup, not playing all the time. Guys like Vogelbach, guys like Naquin they got at the trade deadline too. And guys that are platooning. And something that you never saw the Mets do in the past because they never had this kind of depth. And that's something that they could definitely get a spark on. And the biggest spark of this week is their young third baseman, Brett Beatty homering in his first major league at bat. So that's something they could definitely rally around. And he's going to be a good player. And he's going to have to play a lot now, too, because not only Guillaume hurt right now, but Eduardo Escobar just went to the IL as well. So he's going to be playing pretty much every day. And that's good because he's a young player. He's 20 years old, and the Mets wanted to call him up last year, but wanted to hold off on him to give him more eligibility, give right. them more control of eligibility before arbitration in five years. So I love what the Mets are doing right now. And I am not a Mets fan, ladies and gentlemen, but I don't hate the Mets and I think it's good for baseball it's good for New York to see both New York teams make the playoffs and make a run but right now the better team in New York I hate to say it is the New York Mets when we come back ladies and gentlemen we'll be talking to founder of pro football guru Russell Baxter here on the weekend crunch we are back ladies and gentlemen as you know this is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Big Deezy Easy, Errol Marks. And my co-host, Speedy the Greaseball Petey. Remember, you can listen to us every single Saturday at 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We haven't had this guy on for a little bit, but we're happy to have him back. We are now talking to founder of pro football guru, Russell Baxter. Russ, what's going on, bud? Just waiting to see who the three senior finalists will be for the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year. Today was supposed to be decision day. Instead of one senior committee nominee, there will be three Mm. for this year and the next two years going forward as the Pro Football Hall of Fame tries to get rid of that backlog of older players, guys who have been waiting so, so long and so on. You have to remind people that the NFL doesn't run the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but obviously a lot of the people who are in the Hall of Fame played in the NFL. Some played even professional football before the NFL. 
NFL. The NFL was founded in 1920. The Hall of Fame began in 1963. Do the math. That's 43 years. There's a big gap there with some of these older players as they try to get some of the older players in. And then the not so older players kind of fall by the wayside. So it'll be interesting to see who they come out with. I'd like to see Klecko again. And I thought he was one of the best players of his time. The voters have really torched him when it comes to getting into the Hall of Fame. He deserves absolutely to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, you could probably say that about a lot of guys. I just remember. Remember, Jerry Kramer waited 40 years to get in. If he can wait 40 years, some guys can wait 20. And the guys who we're talking about here are the 25. I agree with you. I think Joe should be in there. And a guy who probably made a case for him went in this year, and that's Richard Seymour. Because Richard Seymour was a guy who could play interior, exterior, 3-4, 4-3. Belichick even lined him up in the backfield at times. But to any point, Joe Klecko is a pro bowler in three different positions. Mm-hmm. But I've written about Joe Klecko many times yes. on the missions list, and I'd like to see him get in. And I think eventually he will. It'll be the next three years with the senior committee, Errol, but who knows what the rules are going to be going forward. Remember, there's a new Hall of Fame president now. David Baker is not there anymore. Right. And as time evolves and the voters evolve, and some voters will eventually change. We also know that too. We shall see. But it's always fun. I was in Canton a week and a half ago. It's always great to go back there. My first year was 1989. Wow. Wow. When the ceremony was still on the steps, the Hall of Fame game was Saturday afternoon. Willie Wood, Terry Bradshaw, Mel Blunt, Art Shell. That was the first class I saw go in. That's a pretty good class. This past year, we finally saw a guy who I thought was way overdue to get in, and that was Cliff Branch with the Seniors Committee. So the Hall of Fame voters aren't trying to keep people out. I've read every conspiracy theory, every tinfoil analysis that the NFL is trying to screw this team. That's good. First off, it has nothing to do with the NFL. It's the voting committee. So we shall see. But it's always a fun time. I don't know if you guys have ever made the trip to Canton. I have. Highly recommend it. One time. It's great. I did yeah. it in 2013, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. We didn't even get it's to see a, the whole a thing. Lot of fun. You you never know who you're going to bump into. And I mean that literally. When I was at ESPN, we were doing some live coverage on the steps of the hall. And my producer at the time, Bob Rauscher, told me and a young production assistant, make sure no one walks in front of the live shot. (laughs) So two men actually walked in front of the live shot. One guy was Gail Sayers. The other guy was Ray Nitschke. Wow. Production assistant looked at me and said, hey, they're in the live shot. I said, you tell them. (laughs) Not <laughs> the first time they were right in the same shot. You tell Bodansky that he's in the live shot. I wouldn't. They sure. wanted to reenact no. their playing days on a more no. modern camera. Well, if you remember The Longest Yard, I think that was one of Ray Nitschke's great games. Mm. I don't think anybody told them it was a movie. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking to the founder of pro football guru, Russell Baxter. Russ, this past weekend, there was a huge scare for the New York Jets. Zach mm-hmm. Wilson tears his meniscus, bruised knee. A lot of these experts, quote-unquote, before the game was over we're suggesting that he tore his ACL the season was over his career as a New York Jet is completely over then you find out after the game his ACL is intact that's what you heard with Robert Sala he had his meniscus surgery and they said it was a lot less worse than they thought it was going to be so what were your thoughts when you heard Zach Wilson was hurt in the first preseason game and what are your thoughts now that everything looks like it could be fine going into week number two here's what I learned a long time ago if you looking for a doctor just go on Twitter because as soon as someone gets hurt, thousands of them 
it's easier to find a doctor on Twitter than it is a lawyer. <laughs> I've never understood how anybody can do analysis from their TV screen. I just wait and see what happens. A lot of times now, you see these injuries not being as bad as you think. I think it's the initial gut reaction of watching him go down. And of course, you know, he rolled out and it was a non-contact injury and so on. So no one knows until they go in there. We also now have players with quicker recovery time. We see it all the time now. I go back to the days where guys like William Andrews from the late 70s, early yep. age, great back for the Atlanta Falcons, very underrated, tore up his knee. He was done. Back then, it was a professional death sentence, for lack of a better word. Now you go in and it's like getting a part removed on your washing machine or something <laughs> like that. Now, the recovery time is a whole different thing. The confidence being on that knee. I think we're seeing that a little right now with Devin Bush of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who's getting a lot of criticism because now we're getting to the point where it's two years removed from his knee surgery. Has he lost this confidence? Has he lost this step? Only the individual knows and so on. But I heard it. I saw it. I just waited. You're just better off waiting instead of running for office on social media and declaring this person and that person and so on. And <laughs> Joe Flacco's there. Having Joe Flacco around in the twilight of his career, him and Matt Ryan were both first round picks in 2008. Joe Flacco, strong arm quarterback, can still play this game. If they had to go with him for a couple of weeks, you go with him. It's a long season. I like the direction the Jets are headed in. I did some bold predictions earlier in the year, and I think they win some divisional games this year. I think that would be a step in the right direction. As we know, they were 0-6 the last two years in the division. So you got to crawl before you walk. Let's maybe steal one from the Dolphins. Maybe let's finally beat the Patriots. You got to go back six or seven years. The six game where Matthew yeah. Slater botched the coin toss was the right. last one for the yeah. Jets. I don't think they've won in New England since the 2010 playoffs. Mm. Crawl before you walk. As a Jet fan, you could say it backwards, you could say it frontwards. It doesn't really matter. It always seems to happen and reach to the middle. So we all know about well, walking and crawling and failing. The bottom line is they have the longest playoff drought in the league. They haven't been there since the AFC Championship game when they lost to Pittsburgh. That's a long time in this league. Where we saw a year ago, three teams go from last place to the playoffs and one of them to the Super Bowl. Go back the last nine or ten years, especially in the NFC. We are regularly seeing a team coming off a losing season and wind up in the Super Bowl. We saw it last year with Cincinnati. The year before that, we saw it with Tampa Bay. The Eagles went from 7-9 to nine to Super Bowl champions. Right. It's kind of an odd trend and so on, but it happens. The Panthers and Falcons, when they went to the Super Bowl recently, too, was like yeah. that, too. Now, you don't necessarily win it. San Francisco came off a losing season. But last year, Cincinnati, Philadelphia were all last place in 2020. All were in the playoffs in 2021. The year that Jacksonville last made the playoffs, they were a last place team. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they're up by 10 in Foxborough in the 2017 AFC. Now they haven't recovered from that, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> so speaking of, you mentioned Joe Flacco, his predecessor, Lamar Jackson, he wants to get paid. Do you think that happens before the season? He wants to cut it off right before week one. Well, I don't blame him for wanting to cut it off before week one, because once you start dabbling in that during the season, that can become a legitimate distraction. I thought arguably the Ravens had the best offseason in the league. The Ravens are also bringing a six-game losing streak into 2022. They were eight and three and at one time looked like the front runner to get home field advantage. They plummeted and they finished dead last. Now they had massive injuries in the backfield. They wound up with the worst pass defense in the league. They were giving up 40 yard plays through the air on a regular basis. I think the year before that they gave up the fewest. Then they wound up giving up the most. Now they brought in Marcus Williams. Kyle Fuller's there as well. They got Kyle Hamilton in the draft. Had a very, very successful offseason. We know what that division is like. 
that division is an MMA match. Regularly, that division sends two. We've seen even three teams come from that playoffs. And of course, you can now send four teams to the playoffs. So I don't know what the Ravens are necessarily thinking, but he's coming off a year where he was a little banged up. I think what he came out and said as far as don't get this done, we stop now. I think that was a smart thing because they have to rebound and they now have to rebound in the division where two teams ahead of them made the playoffs and one of them went to the Super Bowl. And when they played the Cincinnati Bengals last year, it wasn't even close. Both times they got rolled significantly by the Bengals. Russ, there was a lot of acquisitions this offseason, especially in the AFC. Mm-hmm. We know where Russell Wilson went. He went to the Broncos. The Chargers got a lot better. Kansas City got worse, but Vegas got better. There was a lot of teams in the AFC that definitely got better. What stood out to you the most so far this offseason? And what team in the AFC is going to take a step forward because of it. I put Baltimore and the Chargers in different categories. I think Baltimore rebounds. I don't know if they'll rebound all the way to the playoffs and so on, but I think they'll rebound. But the Chargers do intrigue me because what they were able to do defensively, I mean, they traded for Khalil Mack. They gave up a lot of money to get J.C. Jackson. And then they got a sneaky good defensive guy. You know he's not sneaky to you guys, but be it special teams, be it defense, he always just seems to be around the ball. And that's Kyle Van Noy. I thought picking him up, he's one of those difference-making type of guys. Now, the Chargers, I think some people forget in 2018, they were tied for the best record in the AFC. But they wound up as a wild card because they lost the tiebreaker to the Chiefs. They won a playoff game. They beat Baltimore in Baltimore before they went to New England and they missed Laid their up flight. a lousy goose egg. They either missed their flight or that was a different team. They stunk it up. I mean, New England won the Super Bowl that year, but the Chargers were basically a no-show. And again, they haven't recovered from that. We saw them last year. Roller coaster ride would be an understatement. Brandon Staley, and you talk about on-the-job training, I think he was determined to go forward on fourth down and at least <laughs> once in every 17 regular season games. I understood it, but I didn't agree with all of it. I think he got a little too clever, but they did not necessarily play last year, guys, complimentary football. Would they beat the Browns? 47-42? Yeah, that was a okay. wild game. But they lost the game to Minnesota at home that proved to be costly. They lost the game to New England, where again, they were erratic. They looked like they had the Chiefs, I think on a Thursday night, and then Travis Kelsey decided to run around them, through them, and over them. So very hard team to figure out. Justin Herbert, we know what he can do. Offensively, they have a lot of people. As much as you hear, and I hear this from other people, our other brethren, this is not an offensive league. This championship will still be decided by defense. There was this popular perception that, well, the Cincinnati Bengals got to the Super Bowl with a lousy offensive line. I'm not denying that because when your quarterback, including the postseason, gets sacked 70 times in 19 games, that's a problem. But they didn't win the Super Bowl. And this is my favorite trivia question of the offseason, so you guys get to participate. Who spent more time in the Bengals' backfield in the second half of Super Bowl 56? A, Joe Burrow, B, Aaron Donald, or C, Von Miller? Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. Yeah. What does that tell you? In a league where it is supposedly offensively driven, two of the last four Super Bowls has seen a team not score a touchdown. The Rams got a field goal against the Patriots. The Chiefs got three field goals against the Bucs. You know how many times that happened in the first 52 Super Bowls? Once. Now, some of those are were defensive touchdowns, special teams touchdowns. I get all that and so on. But the bottom line is you better have some sort of defense to complement your offense or... All those points don't mean Dallas slumped at the end of the year. A lot of people made a big deal out of them leading the league in scoring. But I believe they had nine defensive and special teams touchdowns. 
So you wonder why they were sporadic down at losing at home to Arizona late in the year, the playoff loss to San Francisco. You got to be playing complimentary football. This is a league where we saw six lopsided games in the wild card round. Six of the last seven playoff games were decided by a field goal, exactly three points. And the one was decided in overtime, which was the Bills Kansas City game, which decided by six points. So better play some defense. All those points are great. All those yards are great. All those touchdowns are great. So that's why I think the Chargers intrigued me because I thought maybe you could arguably make a case that they maybe made the best strides on defense. And you're adding Khalil Mack to Joey Boza. That's formerly Derwin James. It's not so much Justin Herbert. To me, it's more can Brandon Staley do what he did for the Rams defense a couple years ago, even though they didn't win the Super Bowl, but he made them the number one defense in the league. Can he make this Chargers defense number one? Because that AFC West is absolutely loaded. By the way, I think Denver gets a winning record, but I'm not convinced Denver's going to be in the playoffs. That division could have three playoff teams, if you look. Or could have four. I mean, it's not out of the realm that they could have four. We could actually see that. I think Kansas City this year, losing Tyreek Hill, they're not as good as they were last year. Not as explosive. No, I think that's going to be a big problem. They're going to rely on Patrick Mahomes' arm this year. And Patrick, when the pressure comes, Patrick has been in those situations at certain parts of those games, especially against the Buffalo. Buffalo Bills, where he didn't look as dominant as he has in regular season games. So I think when he plays the more quality teams, he doesn't play as well. I've gone back and I've done various pieces on it. Steve Spagnuolo's been there three years. They got off to a terrible start in 2019. They got hot late in the year and hot in the playoffs defensively. They carried that over to 2020. It fell apart by the end of 2020. The falling apart part carried over into their three and four start a year ago. Then they got hot. And then late in the year in the playoffs, the defense, it's Coney Island, if you like roller coasters. And they play well in the first half against the Bengals, and then they collapse. Exactly. I love Coney Island. we have seen, how many times have we seen, listen, Andy Reid's going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I don't think there's any question about it. But Andy Reid has had his share of blown big leads in playoff games. He's blown an 18-point lead or more three times in the postseason. Twice at home while he's with the Chiefs. Remember the Marcus Mariota game? That's definitely well, something. He surprised the Browns. You're right, about, you're right about Mahomes. Yeah. I thought last year he pressed yep. because of that defense. This is a league now defensively where it's hard to find a team that really stops another team. But if they take away the ball, that's about as close. It's more takeaway driven. You probably have to go back to Denver in 2015 and Seattle in 2013, where you had a team that actually could stop people. Now the 2013 Seahawks had a pass rush. They had the takeaways and they had the yardage as far as stifling. That's one of the all time great defense. I mean, it's not the 2000 Ravens. I've thrown this out. Chris Berman and I used to talk about this a lot. The Ravens in 2000, they played 20 games, including the playoffs. They gave up 188 points in 20 games. Wow. We're not that far removed from rule changes. 188 points in 20 games? They gave up less than 20 offensive touchdowns in those games. They gave up one offensive touchdown in four playoff games. Wow. When you say all time, I know 85 Bears, 76 Steelers, 188 points in 20 games is something to behold. That is 9.4 points per game. Are you talking about the 2000 Ravens? Yes, who won Super Bowl 35 when they beat the Giants. Yes, I remember that very well. 9.4? That's a gymnast score. Last year, you look at teams who gave up the fewest points and pretty much everybody gave up 300 or close to 300. Buffalo gave up 289 
in 17 games. They give it the fewest. We see teams now give up 500 points in a season. It's crazy. Well, the Jets yeah. being one of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the Saints yeah. did that once, and it was like unheard of to thought of. Now there's like three teams doing it every year. I remember last year the Jets had that lead against the Buccaneers, and I for sure thought that that was going to be a win for the Jets. And then all of a sudden, Tom Brady throws to a no-name wide receiver that you never heard of. He's like a fifth. After, yeah, it's like Grayson something. After yeah. Antonio Brown undresses himself <laughs> and walks off the field with his two thumbs up to the Jet fans. I remember that game very, very well, and somehow the Buccaneers win that game. But I'm not surprised it was the Jets. And, and as a Jet fan, and a lot of fellow Jet fans out there, probably just wanted to throw up because Tom Brady did it again against them. It's safe to say that some people lost their shirt. <laughs> some people lost their shirt, lost their pads, and then eventually lost his virginity. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the Hall of Fame. Anybody else that you think should be in the Hall of Fame by now, whether it's a senior guy or some of the guys that have just been on the ballot the last maybe five years? I regularly do like a, a top 30 list. And the last one I did was a year and a half ago. And I have to redo the list because five guys actually got in. Cliff Branch was one. Laborie Butler was one. Tony Baselli was one. There's Randy Gratishart, Chuck Cowley, Clay Matthews, Roger Craig, Roman Gabriel. There's so many guys from so many different eras. Depending Is it on Jarrell Revis on that? He's one of the new ones this year. Yeah. yeah. I only did this one, guys. Oh, gotcha. Follow. Now, I know when I redo the list, I know Devin Hester's going to be on there. Yes, because I thought he was a first ballot. You know what's very unusual about the Hall of Fame this year? Nobody was first ballot. Dick Vermeil's a coach, so he's been waiting for a while. Art McNally, that's a contributor thing, so that's not necessarily a ballot thing. And Cliff Branch was on the seniors committee. Mm. But the five modern-day guys that went in, none of them were first ballot. I was thinking the first ballot guys would have been Devin Hester and DeMarcus Ware. There's a couple guys I would add to the list as we whittle down and so on. But again, I'm going to be very, very curious to see how the senior committee whittles down to three. And again, they're going to do that in a couple of years. We had the centennial class a couple of years ago where they added 15 guys. So again, the hall is doing its best to get rid of such backlog. I often hear people say, well, there's 362 players in the hall of fame. It's not 362 players. That's including the coaches and that's including the contributors, not the writers. There is no writer's wing in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You get their awards. The Dick McCann Award does not put you, give you a bust in the Hall of Fame. And trust me, I know a lot of guys who won the Dick McCann Award. The Pete Rozelle Award for television and radio. Howard Katz got it this year from the NFL mm-hmm. Network. I worked with it when I was at ESPN. So it's a relatively small group if you think about the fact that the Hall's been around 60 years now, 60 classes. Yeah, I should be in the Hall of Fame, the way they take people. Oh, I don't agree with that. On that. <laughs> when Dion said what he said the other day, he really caught me off guard. If you want a different color jacket, dye it. Maybe Terrell Owens will get the same thing. No, I feel bad for Terrell Owens. As crazy as he is and how big of a big mouth he is on and off the field, the guy was a first ballot Hall of Famer. For anybody to say that he wasn't, it was disrespectful for the committee to not vote him in as a first ballot Hall of Fame. They let Randy Moss go in, but not Terrell Owens, which, by the way, Terrell Owens was a much better player than Randy Moss. As good as Randy Moss was, go look at the numbers. Terrell Owens was a much better player than Randy Moss was. Go back and look at the modern-day wide receivers, 
How many are first ballot? Less than 10. Andre Less Johnson 10. should be there. Well, we'll see. Marvin Harrison wasn't first ballot. No. That's pretty startling. Owens obviously wasn't first ballot. Guys like Art Monk and Chris Carter and right. Lynn Swan all waited for years and yeah. years. If I had a gripe about the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they seem torn between the older players and the newer numbers. Because mm. now we have like 14 guys who have caught 1,000 passes. That was almost unheard of a long time ago. But the other thing about Terrell Owens, and this is just what you hear in the background, the fact that he was a disruptive force within the organization, nothing to do with off the field. I think about T.O. didn't get in any trouble off the field. The fact that he was disruptive, what we saw with the Eagles, what we saw with the Cowboys, I think it's going to be one of those things that down the road, because of probably more what happened with the Raiders and with the Buccaneers, Antonio Brown has Hall of Fame numbers. But the fact that he got in a confrontation with Mike Mayock, he decided to do Magic Mike against the Jets and walked off the field. That's the stuff that costs you with the voters and so on. And by the time some of these guys retire, who knows what the voting committee is going to look like. So might even be bigger. The one thing I will remind people, because I hear a lot about media, 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 guys like Dan Fouts, Tony Dungy, James Lofton are all Hall of Fame voters. So it's not just media members. They're in the media now, but it's not just media members. These are guys who are Hall of Fame players or a Hall of Fame coach. Bill Polian is one as well. Well, Russ, we really appreciate your time as always. We'll be in touch. We'll get you on very, very soon. I want to get you on as the season progressively starts, like third or fourth week. I'd like to get you on and your thoughts of some of these teams and what you think of the AFC and the NFC, but we really appreciate your time. Tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Dax Football Guru on Twitter is probably the best thing you can do because I tweet out everything I write, and whether you like it or not, you're getting it. It's kind of like Liam Neeson. I have a special set of skills. I will find you, and I will follow you. <laughs> Taken. I love that movie, by the way. Every time it's on TV, I watch Taken 1, Taken 2, Taken 3. I love the movies. I'm waiting for Taken 4 to come out, but uh, his wife is gone, so I doubt he's making another one. But, again, we really appreciate you joining us, and we'll talk to you soon, Russ. You guys have a great night. Thanks. A lot of fun. The great Russell Baxter. I love Russ because he's honest. He tells a lot of good stories. And the fact that he has that pizzazz when he comes on the show. And I love what he said about Joe Klecko and Joe Klecko has an opportunity to go to Canton, something where he should have been a very long time ago. But I love what Russ had to say, and Klecko has the opportunity to really get there in something that everybody expected him to be years and years ago, a Hall of Famer. Yeah, Russ definitely not only does well with the modern game, but always does great with the past, too. You don't see many guys like that to be able to have, just have a knowledge analysis of that and, and enthusiasm, too. You're talking about it with Gail Sayers, too, at the beginning of the interview with Joe Klecko. All these guys, he was talking about a lot of his Hall of Fame stories and the times he's been to Canton and got to meet up with some of those older players too. So just so many different generations of football, great knowledge, great personality. Love having Russ on the show. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Chaz and the boys are back. Moneyline Mania here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy, Mr. Greaseball, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only 
on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, and searching WWSRN or Android. Play Store. Search it. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, well, well. We have the boys. They are back. We have Wes back and the Chaz man himself, as we call this segment Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew. Mr. Chaz, what's going on, buddy? Well, it's not 420 right now, but it's going to be 420 somewhere in about 20 minutes. (laughs) I'll find out while we're doing this. We're teaching people not only about sports betting and cannabis, but physical geography and where those different timelines. It's amazing. You fly around the world, how the time changes like that. It does. Everything flies by as life, as rain, as snow. Everything flies by. And Mr. Worldwide West, what's going on, buddy? Not too much. You know, I had a baby a couple weeks ago getting ready for football season. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. It's been a wild ride. I'm actually responsible for a human. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of crying, a lot of food, and a lot of Speedy being your babysitter. What about that? Could you imagine Speedy? Speedy being a babysitter. Speedy, anytime you want to come to KC, I got Chiefs tickets waiting for you and a crying baby that is desperately in need of a bottle. <laughs> Just think what your son's sports trivia knowledge would be like if Speedy watched him for a weekend. Oh God, please. <laughs> well, he's going to learn. Week zero, we're giving it a go. 9 a.m., cocktail in hand. Mom's even leaving town. And I'm going to teach this kid how to football. We're going to start with week zero. Look at that. I mean, eventually, you know, he'll be about 10 years old, and he'll be a pro at sports betting. Then he'll be a real winner. And then you don't even have to worry about making the bets. He'll make the bets, and you pull out the money, buddy. Passive income. No doubt about that. And that's a good way to have passive income. From the kids. From your kids. Well, I will say this. Since you guys have started with us, you guys are a little bit over 80% on your picks. A couple of weeks ago, I think you were 15-3 and three or something. I will interject at this point only to say that if you don't believe that, you can go to my Vegas Insider page where I recently finished 18-3 and three in 21 articles. 18-3, West Makes you a couple bucks, doesn't it? 18 and 3 makes you a couple bucks if you're bankroll managing. And, you know, there's a lot of people that they want to laugh at the CFL. I think football in the summertime is fantastic. Football by the pool, as you like to do it in San Diego, you know, it, it is great. And if you're making money, it's a great sport to me. I will bet on Arrow against Speedy in a coin flip if I have leverage and odds. <laughs> I caught CFL at a wedding. I told Wes this story on Wake and Bake. Yeah, I was at a wedding, and they you know, had their wedding on Saturday night in the summer. That's not unheard of. But I had already hit the first two teams in a four-teamer, and I was trying to watch the second half of the game, and everybody on the dance floor, I don't want to get on the dance floor. I held my chest a little, and I said, I better sit down. And I had the phone <laughs> on my lap. Well, that's because Chaz is looking for those hamburgers. (laughs) But why don't we get into your picks as we do this every single week. Moneyline Mania. And if anybody hasn't listened to this segment of the show, what we do is we go around with all the different handicappers on this segment. And they pick a certain amount of games, usually three to four games. And they go through it and they give you opportunities to make bets on their choices, either handicap picks 
or pick through parlays and all that other stuff. So why don't we go? We'll go with Chaz. We'll go with you first. I'm looking at what I can give out as winners because last week we were three and one, and, and three and one has got to be three and one before you can be eighteen and three. One of the things we talk about is how you got to put the effort in, right? Blackhawk West, the handicap. You got to put the effort in. You got to look at the games because you don't know. There's a few that you can tell what you did last week. But remember, anytime you're tailing what you did on a previous game, even if it's baseball, sure, it's the same teams, but pitchers change. And now the one thing about the CFL they have that the NFL doesn't have is they'll play you this Saturday and they'll play again the same two teams at the other place next Saturday. They do those like college football does, a home and away series. The CFL does it back-to-back weekends. I looked at the NFL games starting with Dallas at the Chargers because that is 10 o'clock Eastern. And then we got Philly at Cleveland on Sunday. Sunday night, Cincinnati at the Giants. What's the Spanish? Los Gigantes? Is that how they call them? And then Baltimore at Arizona. We're going to talk about Baltimore for sure. And then Atlanta at the Jets. So, wow, of the five games that are left to talk about in NFL preseason, two of the New York teams are in it. But people say, what do they say when you hear I'm betting NFL preseason derelicts. Blackhawk was. Am I off base at all? Well, Speedy's a derelict. That's for sure. That's what they'll say to you. But the bottom line is, you know, we've got data here that goes back to 2012. Every single point spread, every single result for every single first quarter, first half, second half game, it's just a powerful tool. So let's look at that first game, Dallas at the Chargers. Now, who's playing? Who's starting? How many, all that stuff that goes into preseason handicapping, it really is important if you're betting, you know, the first quarter. And Mo from the Mo Radio Show does that. He's really good at saying, hey, you know what, I know this team's going to give this guy three series. And so that's most of the first quarter, so I'm going to bet that team. I just look at what they've done in the past, and I've had a ton of success just assuming they're going to do it again. So I look at Dallas. Now, Dallas is pretty bad. Dallas, in their last 19 preseason games, they've covered the spread three times. They are 3-15-1. Now, I bash Dallas whenever I can because Dallas fans are waiting around for the rings and J-Lo recently passed them in rings. <laughs> if J-Lo can pass you in rings, you're not doing so well. Hey, there's, so there's plenty that, of rings. They're just on a pawn shop. Yeah, there you go. And so it's not any better when they're on the road. They're going to the Rams stadium to play the Chargers because the Chargers are run by a family that has cursed them. They have a curse <laughs> that will last as long as the Spanoses own that family and they are 314 and one that's information that's pretty valuable so i'm going to pass it off to wes as i look at more games Chaz, just going along with the data the game that i'm looking at tomorrow really is this baltimore game nobody covers more overs preseason than baltimore does i don't know what it is about john harbaugh and his approach to preseason games i don't know if he's calling plays in a fashion that lets players score the why is really difficult during preseason but I'm looking at a 37.5 or a 38.5 over, under, depending on where you look. I'm taking the Baltimore zone again, and I'm going over 38.5. I think that there's going to be points scored on both sides. Kyler Murray has had some injuries. So has Lamar Jackson. And I think that it makes sense for both coaches to see what they got on the bench. And I don't know that it's going to happen by turnovers, but 38.5, we're looking for what? 21-18, 21-20. We're looking at a score like that. So I'm going over on the Baltimore zone again, 38 and a half. I'll throw some numbers at you, Wes. These are numbers. I'm going to tell you the number, then I'm going to tell you what they are. 23, 37, 20, 17, 20, 
26, 26, 29, 30, 27. You want to guess what those are? Those are Baltimore's team points. In their last eight or whatever it was preseason games. So the opponent barely has to score two touchdowns to get us paid. In those games, they are 27 and 3. 27 and 3 in their last 30 against the spread preseason games, 16 and 2 on the road. The last time they lost a preseason game on the road was at Philadelphia. It was 2015. Speedy, were you driving yet? 2015, no. He wasn't even wearing underwear that time. Yes, I was. He was wearing underwear. They just had snaps on the sides. He was still wearing diapers. So so all, all that being said with Baltimore, they're getting five points. They're getting five points. So the play is plus five Baltimore. And I like a little bit of half unit, quarter unit on the over. That feels good to me. You know, that's so funny, guys, that when people say it's the roulette table all over again, people look at that because now Easy Sports Data, we're on these trends way before they're talking about them on the shows on TV, Wes. But the people say, well, it can't happen again. It can't happen again. It can't happen again. I remember being at a roulette table watching people pour money on red because the little sign, the pole that stands up from the table showed it was all black. I got there from the beginning. It went three black. I loaded up on black. I hit black 14 times in a row, and then I lost. You always lose the last one because it went 17 straight blacks, and these people were dumping money on red, and the little girl, she's a cute little girl. She's just pulling the money with that little stick, taking it all to the house. You're going to be right more than you're going to be wrong. So Baltimore plus five, that's the play. The other one that I like, I'm going to jump ahead to next week because we got college football around the corner, and week zero has become a really cool tradition the last few years. And the game that I'm looking at is Northwestern against Nebraska. That's probably the marquee game of next weekend. In Evanston, it's at Northwestern. Last year, Nebraska hung 56 points on Northwestern. This is a competent, well-coached, well-recruited team. At least as good as you can recruit a Northwestern team with those academic standards. But 13 points is the spread. I'm taking 13 points. I think that Northwestern has a real shot of winning the game. I think it's going to be close into the fourth quarter. I don't know who wins. But 13 points is too many, and I'm going to take plus 13 Northwestern. I love that Northwestern chant because they get beat a lot at football games. They're not very good. They've had a few Rose They were good in the short season. That's all I remember them being recently. And it it goes something like, that's all right. That's okay. You're going to work for us someday. The whole student (laughs) section chants that because you don't go to Northwestern if you're stupid. The chant of Speedy is, that's all right. That's okay. I'm going to wear your underwear someday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, she's a supermodel. I got no problem with that chant. She would have a problem in that case. (laughs) Could you imagine Speedy wearing lingerie? (laughs) I can. And the problem is you can't unsee that. So thanks, Errol. Appreciate it. Thanks. I can't imagine it. I got to change glasses or something. I'm trying to figure out what color these underwear would be. Yellow. Would there be be lace? A little purple? The Giants. You got the Giants playing, right? They're hosting the defending AFC champion. Cincinnati Bengals, but they're 9-2 in their last 11 first halves. They don't give up many points in the first half. That's one. And in their last eight overall, they're 7-1. That's a nice one to look at. Okay, let's see. We got a 1-15 here. Last week, Atlanta beat Detroit at the last minute. Remember what happened? Detroit had them, and then they blew the game somehow. I forget what happened. But before that, they were 1-15 against the spread. Atlanta was. So when they go on the road, is it any better? Eh, not much better. A little better. It's kind of hard to not be better than 1-15, though, if you think about it. 
<laughs> so you know what? There's a Jets-Giants parlay in my future. I could Uh-oh. see it now. Wow. Giants are giving five and a half. Jets are getting two. I bet you the Giants and the Jets will score more than the Yankees have scored in one week. <laughs> you would only need a field goal for that. Yeah, even oh, though I will say. making jokes, cracking jokes. I will say, because we were talking with John from GMF Sports the day they were down big and they came back and they won with a walk-off grand slam. That was one of the most exciting baseball things that I've watched in a long, long time because I was involved from the very beginning of the game. It was a pretty wild way for a baseball game. Yeah, and ever since then they haven't won, so figure that one out. No, I've been betting them under on their games because they're just not scoring any runs. They literally, they had nine games, they scored seven runs or something. If you look at it, the Yankees have no DJ LeMayu, no Giancarlo Stanton. The middle of their lineup is completely putrid besides Aaron Judge. So they need these guys back, and they need to figure something out with that bullpen. That bullpen has been horrible since the All-Star break. The Jets is Monday night, by the way, so that'll be good. I got a Sunday-Monday parlay. I always like those because it gives you something to live for Monday. Monday's a grind for most of us, so I like to have something to look for. And then the Week 0. Wes, when you look at those games... Are there any where the points just don't seem high enough? Like UConn, remember UConn used to get beat by 50. Utah State's a good program. They got to go to Utah State and play in the mountains, and they're only getting 27. Utah State, they're typically high-powered offense. They've been just blowing through quarterbacks the last couple years. I have a hard time laying 27.5 points on week zero or week one. If I'm laying 27 and a half points, it's like Bama against your local high school. 27 points is just too much. I'm just not comfortable with it. Utah State's probably going to cover it, but the one that stands out is Illinois and Wisconsin. I don't know that Illinois is laying enough points with Brett Bielema on year two against Wyoming. This is not Josh Allen, Wyoming, and it's at Illinois. And so that one looks like a really good number. The other one that seems really weird to me, I'm looking at Nevada and New Mexico State. Nevada has got a high-powered offense, too, and nine points. That one doesn't seem like enough either. I don't understand where New Mexico State is getting the respect to even be single digits against Nevada. Yeah, New Mexico State, they've had some seasons where betting against them was just easy money. It just really was. And that's the thing we're going to talk about because we're going forward now. It'll be talking late college football on here. And NFL, right? Pretty much for the next three months. And those late games are going to be the Pac-12 games, the West Coast games. And there's a lot of people that don't stay awake for those. (laughs) Not me. I watch every single minute of those games. By that point in the day, I'm on my, what, 12th, 13th hour, as Blackhawk West mentioned, because college football does start so early. And then I'm usually also kicked out of the main room. I lose the TV rights after about eight or nine hours of college football on a Saturday because I'm married, and that's what happens. Sounds like fun. College football Saturday, man, if I could have it every day, I'd be in heaven. That would be, I died and went to heaven because every single day is Saturday college football. All year long. That's where I'm at, too. You like your wine, you like your water, and you like college football. There you go, baby. (laughs) Well, we really appreciate you guys joining us, as always. The personalities. And, Wes, we miss you, man. We're very happy. The winter's around the corner, so you'll probably be around a lot more. So we're looking forward to getting you on the show. I'm back now, for sure. Oh, awesome. You guys know I'm doing that amusement park life. Yes. We're down to Parko's only open on the weekends, so I get to actually feel like a person again. I'm back now. Feels good. Missed you guys. Yes, we miss you, too. And we miss Chaz. He's healthy, thank God. Moving forward into... To the fall and the winter with football right here. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time if you're a football, college football fan, and even basketball, college basketball fan as well. Now, so. it's too late for you 
it's too late for you this week if you missed Wake and Bake this morning. <laughs> and it's just too late for you. You won't even be able to go back and watch it because it probably won't get loaded onto the website until Monday. But you can watch last week's at sportsbettingweekly.com. You can see last week's. But next week, get up. It's 11 o'clock Eastern. I guarantee you it'll be the most profitable hour of your day unless you're a hooker. <laughs> Chaz, Wes, thank you for joining us. Yeah, always be cashing. Good to be here, guys. Always be cashing. As we always have these wonderful handicappers on the show, Chaz and his crew, Moneyline Mania is one of the best handicap segments, I believe, in the industry. So thank you to them for joining us. And when we come back, we will get into some basketball as the New York Knicks and Donovan Mitchell might be coming very close to a deal with the Utah Jazz. And I say that because Donovan has been pushing New York Knicks, and now it looks like it's coming to fruition. When we come back, we'll get into Donovan Mitchell and the Knicks and everything going on through the NBA here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Big Man, Big Easy, Big Cheddar, Errol Marks, and my greasy friend, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, the Jazz has finally rung the doorbell. And what I mean by that is Danny Ainge reached out to the New York Knicks finally again. And now they're back into negotiations for Donovan Mitchell. I know Stephen A. Smith came out over the week stating that the Knicks are going to have to trade R.J. Barrett and five first-round draft picks to land Donovan Mitchell there is no way the Knicks are going to trade away their youngster, their top young player on this roster for Donovan Mitchell, especially when the Knicks have control of making this trade. They are in control because everybody knows Danny Ainge is trying to move on from Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell doesn't want to be there. He's the only decent player that team has now. And Donovan Mitchell is not a part of the Jazz future. There is no Miami, there is no Atlanta, there is no Phoenix right now. All those teams are over the salary cap, and all of them are trying to sign their own players. There's only one team right now that will have money room, space, and players and draft picks to make that trade, and that is the Knicks. And Donovan Mitchell, who's hanging out a lot in New York, he was with Fat Joe at Rucker Park the other day. He has been here a lot. He's been at Met games. Everybody spot him at Met games. Every time the Mets are playing at home, Donovan Mitchell's there. That tells you one thing. He wants to be here. He wants to play in New York. He wants to play at Madison Square Garden. The Knicks got to pull this trigger. Try to hold on to some of their youngsters like Grimes and Obi Toppin and Quigley. You don't have to move those guys. And if you do move one or two of those guys, make sure you pick the right ones. Quickly is a small guy. They already have Brunson there. If they bring Donovan Mitchell, he's 6'1", 6'2". You don't need Emmanuel Quigley, even though he's good off the bench. You cannot keep Quigley. Then your guard play is very, very small. So I, I think Emmanuel Quigley should be a part of this trade, even though I have heard Donovan Mitchell really likes him. Obi Toppin, I would try to hold on to. If you're going to trade Grimes, and I don't want to trade Grimes, but if you're going to trade Grimes, make sure you don't give up six first-round draft picks then. 
This is going to be very important. This is going to be an important move for Leon Rose's career as a GM, as a basketball guru that we have seen as an agent, and hopefully maybe the transition of the New York Knicks for a winning organization if he can make a significant move like this. I've had my skepticism in the past with Leon Rose just because he didn't have any general manager or executive experience being a player agent, but he's done a lot of good things so far in terms of not doing anything drastically like overpaying players like we saw with Phil Jackson or just making all these god-awful trades. Yeah, some of the draft picks ones were definitely questionable, but they had good intentions and now the Knicks have the draft stock in order to make that kind of thing work. And so far I like what he's doing here, trying to fall for we're not going to get fleeced by this team. We're going to get fleeced by Danny Ainge. Six first round picks was not going to be a thing if another player was going to get thrown into the trade, especially not R.J. Barrett. If they make that trade, that is ludicrous. And for the fact that Stephen A. Smith and other people have said that's a realistic offer, that is fair? No, it's not. Nice try. It's not going to happen. And Leon Rose better not pull the trigger on that kind of thing. I've been one defending the fact that I want Obi Toppin to stay for a while, too. If I were to do it, it would be Grimes, Quigley, and... Maybe four or five first-round picks. Fine. Whatever. There's no individual player that's worth six first-round picks and R.J. Barrett at this point because R.J. Barrett, I think, can be Donovan Mitchell in the future with his upside. Their skill set is very similar. Now, R.J. Barrett has to improve his shooting a little bit. R.J.'s a better defender. R.J.'s a better defender, absolutely. He's bigger, better rebounder. And I think there's other elements of his game that can grow, too. Yes, he's not the ball handler Donovan Mitchell is. He's not the guy that attacks the hoop, but he got better in those areas in the second half of the season when he actually got to play more and not have the ball hogged by Julius Randle all the time. So there's definitely some upside there. I do not want the Knicks to make this trade whatsoever and it would be just like the old Knicks to pull the trigger on this kind of thing and I hope it does not happen. I don't think R.J. Barrett's going to be involved with this trade. Everything that I've read, it's either Grimes quickly, Obi Topping quickly. That's what I've heard. Possibly, it was six, but I think the Knicks are going to cut it down to five. Yeah. And Danny Ainge is going to have to settle with that. Because Donovan Mitchell don't want to be in Utah. Right. They don't want Donovan Mitchell in Utah. And nobody else can pull the trigger for Donovan Mitchell except maybe Toronto. And Toronto is not a place Donovan Mitchell wants to be. He has been hanging out a lot here in New York. You've been seeing him out with Brunson. You've been seeing him out with other Nick players. You've been seeing him out with Fat Joe and all these different hip-hop artists. He wants to be here. He wants to be in New York. He wants to be closer to his mom and his father. He grew up over here. He grew up a Met fan. His father works for the Mets. Why would he want to be all the way on the other side of the country playing for the Utah Jazz. It doesn't make sense. So I think this is going to happen probably in the next week. I believe by next week, Donovan Mitchell will be a New York Nick. It's just there's got to be something that could match for this trade. I don't think it's going to be RJ. I think they're going to have to give multiple draft picks and maybe one of those combinations to land a Donovan Mitchell. But nevertheless, the Knicks land Donovan Mitchell. They still have Julius Randle. They still have RJ Barrett and, and Brunson. You're talking about one of the better front fives in the NBA. You really look at it. I'm not saying this because I'm a Knicks fan. Now, defensively, there's going to be a lot of questions there. 
because Julius Randle has played better defense over the last two years under Thibodeau. Donovan Mitchell was a defensive player coming out of Louisville, but he has really transitioned his game to an offensive style of ball. And then Brunson doesn't know what defense is. And then there's RJ, who's a very good defender, probably the best defender on this team, on this roster. So it's scary what this team's going to be defensively, but offensively, they're going to get enough points. They're going to be able to keep up with the better teams in the Eastern Conference, like the Celtics, the Cleveland Cavaliers, or Philadelphia 76ers. They'll be able to keep up with those teams. The question is, are they going to be able to defend those teams with the small guard play that they're going to have moving forward? Yeah, and that's the other point, too, why the Knicks are really in control of this situation, and Danny Ainge has to realize that. Toronto is not going to be able to offer what you're comparing of what you want the Knicks to give up and be able to keep him, too. Because, remember, Toronto's not going to be able to confidently be able to re-sign him like the Knicks would be able to because Donovan Mitchell wants to go there. So you're trying to package with Scotty Barnes and then a lot more than that, fine. But still, you have to be able to make sure Donovan Mitchell's going to go there, and Toronto's not a dumb front office that is going to want to do that at that level of a price with an unknown of that kind of thing. So Danny Ainge has to realize he's not going to be able to have as much leverage as he thinks down the road. So make the trade while it's still good. And I think he will. I I think it's going to happen. The question is when and how long it's going to be because preseason starts in like two, three weeks. I think this move is going to have to happen more sooner than later because Donovan Mitchell needs to get a a little bit more comfortable in this defense, in this offense, and with some of the teammates that he's going to be playing with this year. So it's going to be very, very interesting moving forward with the New York Knicks. As far as the other news in the NBA, the James Dolan news has been a very interesting one. And there is stories coming out that James Dolan is planning to sell the team next year The Knicks and the Rangers. Not Madison Square Garden. He plans to keep Madison Square Garden because it's the world's most famous arena with all the concerts that are going on over there. The question is, is whoever becomes the new owners of the Knicks and the Rangers, he's going to have to negotiate a deal with those owners when those teams play a home game on what kind of profits they make with the food and and all the different merchandise and memorabilia. So it will be very interesting to see what James Dolan does moving forward going into next season. There is stories coming out that he's been in Vegas and he's been taking care of something over there. So it's not his number one priority to get rid of the New York Knicks or the New York Rangers. But when you see the price that you can get for the Knicks right now, which is, I think, 7 or $8 billion, mm-hmm. and the Rangers, you could probably get $2 billion. You're talking about $10 billion that you can make on just two investments. And you don't even have to give away Madison Square Garden or MSG TV. So you could still own the television channel. You could still own Madison Square Garden. And you're still bringing your money. And you made $10 billion off the Knicks and the Rangers, something that your father practically handed you to. So it's It's going to be very interesting what James Dolan does, but it's good news for the Knicks. It's also possibly good news for the Rangers, more for the Knicks, because none of these players, none of these free agents want to play for James Dolan. None of them do. So if they bring in a good owner and great ownership to New York, it's going to draw more free agents to want to play here if Donovan Mitchell's there and if RJ becomes a superstar and all the different young players the Knicks are going to have moving forward. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see what James Dolan does in the next couple of years. 
as a guy that's a fan of both teams, it's definitely going to help the Knicks a lot more than the Rangers, just with how fragile a lot of these NBA players are with their relationships with the front offices and relationships with other players and stuff like that. Because the Knicks, they've spent money. They brought in guys, but a lot of them haven't have either been bad contracts or the team wasn't good enough at that time to make it work. Or you have Phil Jackson's overpaid, whatever the heck he did. The Rangers have had their share of getting good free agents, too. They've had their misses in the past, too. But the Rangers have always been a team that's done just as well when they have had a lot of money spent as a team like this year that, yeah, they have money spent, but they were mostly a younger team. They seem to be pretty even. They've just had a playoff woes. They've been stably run, though. The Knicks have been pretty badly run, and now they're better run. Can they get somewhere is another question, but this is a good step in the right direction in that. Yeah, James Dolan what you were saying about Vegas, absolutely true. He's trying to invest in something called the sphere right now. So once he gets that resolved, it seems like that's going to be the direction they're going. They're projecting about next year, maybe in 2024, but sometime during that next couple of years, yeah, sometime during that 2023, 2024 basketball slash hockey season seems like to be the target date for that kind of thing. And you're right. They're not going to have to give away Madison square garden itself with all the concerts and all the, I would never do that. And there's no reason for them to ever think to do that because you're also going to get a better investment in terms of just modern money too when he initially bought the Knicks is going to be about double of what it is now, including what the revenue is already triple. With, Think his father bought the Knicks at $500 million. And now the Knicks are worth $8 billion. That's an insane value for what you're already getting still with the team and with everything that could come with it, with the team merchandise and stuff like that, and with the revenue they're going to get from the games, too. It's going to be very interesting with the New York Knicks and what they do moving forward uh, as far as ownership is concerned and the Rangers. The Kevin Durant sweepstakes is really died down, but there are stories that the Lakers are now in the mix for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Reading, which would send Anthony Davis possibly to the Celtics. This is a three-team possible trade Avenue where the Brooklyn Nets, the LA Lakers, and the Boston Celtics, all three teams get the players that they want and move maybe some picks here and there. I've been reading that it would send Kyrie Irvin and Kevin Durant, the Lakers, and the Lakers and the Celtics would give up, I think, five first-round draft picks. The Nets would take on Russell Westbrook's contract for a year. Anthony Davis would go to the Celtics. I think Jalen Brown would go to the Nets. Right. Marcus Smart would also go to the Nets okay. as well. The Nets would do this because they're getting a boatload of draft picks. That's what I heard. But there's no sure thing. This is just a rumor right now. But could you imagine Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and LeBron James playing on the Lakers? What a powerhouse that would be. The Lakers would do well in that scenario. The Nets, I think, would do well. I don't know why it would make sense for the Celtics. They risk a lot if you're trading away Marcus Smart and draft picks and Jalen Brown for... They would bring Anthony, Anthony Davis, Davis and somebody else. Okay. I think oh. it's somebody else. All right. I guess yes. I guess it depends on what the other people. It's not be. just Anthony Davis. It'd be a big risk because of Anthony Davis's injuries, though, if they were to do that. So, But they need that powerhouse, powerful, they've been looking for for a long time. And He's a young power forward. If he could stay healthy, Anthony Davis and Jason Tatum, how many teams in the Eastern Conference are going to be yeah. able to beat that? No, team? that's true. If he does stay healthy, he's a top 10 player in the league. It's top just, five. Yeah. It's just, again, it's a big if right now the way he's been the last two years, so we'll say. I've been hearing that Anthony Davis would want to move back to the East Coast. He wanted to play for the Knicks. The Celtics were one of the teams that he was interested in when he wanted to be traded, if you guys remember. So there's so many different things that could happen. It's got to make sense. And Kevin Durant don't want to be there. Kyrie Irving doesn't want to be there. Something has to happen. Something needs to break here. And it, it doesn't seem like it's going to break anytime soon. And that's the problem right here with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is demanding his way out. He just got a hundred four-year, $193 million contract. How does this make sense for the Brooklyn Nets to just part ways with him when they agreed to re-sign him? So it's got to work for the Brooklyn Nets. Out of all the teams, this has to work out for the Brooklyn Nets because if it doesn't, 
This can set the Brooklyn Nets back again a significant amount of years. I'm talking about eight or nine years if they don't get one or two big pieces and picks to move forward in rebuilding this team with Sean Marks. This might be the best way to do it, too. Getting another team involved always helps in terms of getting those draft picks that you just lost forever, and you have no first-round pick outside of pick swaps for the next decade. So, yeah, this is the best approach to do that. The Celtics, they have a good team. They don't need the draft picks as much as they'd be willing to trade that kind of thing. The Lakers, again, they're kind of in a tough hole like the Nets are and trying to keep LeBron happy, and this will be one way to do it, get Kyrie Irving back for sure. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? Kyrie here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy. I need to shave PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 we can't wait for this segment every single week. Speedy, what do we call this segment? Parents time! It's time for Crunch Time! All right, we'll start crunch time with baseball. The New York Mets and Brett Beatty, buy or sell, he will be on the Major League roster for the rest of the season. Absolutely. I think he's the future of this team. 20 years old, had an unbelievable double-A run this year, 15 home runs, batting over 300. He is the future at third base for the New York Mets. Absolutely buying it. I'm buying it, too, especially now with the two third base injuries, Luis Guillorme and Eduardo Escobar, I thought he might be been sent down maybe in August, but definitely with the September call-ups when they expand the roster, there's definitely no need to send him down at that point. So I am absolutely going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. The Browns will win at least five of 11 games that Watson is suspended. Absolutely not. I don't think this team has it in them. I, I really don't. Offensively, they have Amari Cooper at the wide receiver position. They do have some tight ends that are pretty good and pretty athletic. And their running game, there's a lot of questions there. Kareem Hunt doesn't want to be there, wants to be traded, and Nick Chubb can't stay healthy. And until we can see Nick Chubb stay consistently healthy, I think this team's going to have a lot of problems winning games. So I am going to sell it. I'm going to buy it. I think five and six, I think, is something that I think is reasonable with the Browns still having other talent. NFC South doesn't have a lot of great teams where they could definitely steal some of those games against Atlanta, maybe, or the Panthers, one of those games in week one. Gets a Baker Mayfield's head, something like that. There's definitely some easy games they can win. I, they're not a playoff team. I think they finish at eight and nine for the season or something like that. But I think five and six is something reasonable that they could do. I will buy that. All right, buy or sell. James Dolan will sell the Knicks and the Rangers by this day in two. 2023. I'm going to sell that. I don't believe it's going to be in 2023. I think in the next two or three years it will happen. I don't think he's going to rush it. He's going to try to get as much money and have a bidding war with some of these billionaires. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it too. I think it'll be more towards the end of 2023, kind of in the maybe November, December, in the season more because of the the project of Vegas. So I am going to sell that as well. All right, we'll do a college football one here. Uh, Quinn Ewers announced as the starting quarterback for Texas, maybe for one year because Arch Manning is coming. Buy or sell. He will have a better season this season than Arch Manning will next year. I'm going to sell that. I think Arch Manning is a special player. I think he's proven to be that next generational type of talent as his uncles and his grandfather being quarterbacks in the NFL and sensational quarterbacks. So I am going to sell that. I am going to buy it. I think this is a guy that has a chip on his shoulder. He's one of the best prospects coming out when he went to Ohio State too. Got beaten out there and Ohio State fell apart late in the season. I'm sure he was definitely mad about that that he didn't get that kind of
amount of playing time. And now, with all the circumstances going on here, he knows he's talented, and I think he'll end up proving a lot of people wrong here. I am going to buy that. Not that Arch Manning's going to do bad, but I think he'll play very well this season. All right, buy or sell. Two out of three of these running backs, Kareem Hunt, Damian Harris, and Josh Jacobs, will be traded before the start of the season. I'm going to sell it. I don't think before the season. I think it could happen at the trade deadline. The season's right around the corner. I just don't think these teams are going to pull the trigger and decide to trade away pieces of this magnitude until they believe they can get as much as they possibly can back for them. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it too. Exactly what you said. I think Hunt will be traded before the season because he wants out. Damian Harris, I think, will be traded at the trade deadline. And I think the Raiders will pay Josh Jacobs. I think the Patriots will maximize his value once they see other running backs emerge. So I am going to sell it as well. All right, buy or sell. He needs 10 more. Albert Pujols will get to 700 career home runs. I'm going to buy it. I love Albert. He's one of the best right-handed power hitters we've ever seen. Good Samaritan for baseball and what he has done for baseball for all these years, and he deserves it. I think he will retire with 700 home runs and go down as one of the greatest right-handed power hitters we have ever seen. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. He's also playing more, too, and he's hitting higher in the order. I think he was hitting fifth in a couple games this week, too. So definitely more playing time than he was getting in the beginning of the season when they were thinking of just a bench player slash DH. So I'm absolutely going to buy that. All right, buy or sell. LeBron James will retire at the end of his extension with the Lakers. I'm going to sell that. He's going to wait for his broski, I'm talking about, his son's gate, to come into the NBA. I believe one way or another his son's going to play in the NBA. He wants to play at least one year with him, so I'm going to sell that. He only signed a two-year extension because it's going to take two years for his son to make the NBA because he's got to play one year of college eligibility. So I believe the two-year deal was all because of that. I expect LeBron to play at least a third or fourth year. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. It might even be a different contract altogether that his son ends up playing. He might say, all right, I'm only playing one year, but maybe if his son plays well, maybe he stays in the league a little longer too. I would not rule that out either. I am going to sell it as well. Last one for today. The Texans will get disciplinary measures following the Deshaun Watson matter as well as what Deshaun Watson got. Well, the commanders haven't, so I don't believe the Texans will either. I think it's absolutely appalling what Goodell has done to the NFL and really what these owners just blinded to see. So I do not believe the Texans are going to be suspended or lose a draft pick or be fined. They're going to get away with this. It's all to attack the player. You saw what the NFL did to Tom Brady with the flake gate. It wasn't Tom Brady. It was the organization. It was the team that was doing it. So they blame Tom Brady. They like to point fingers, and they're going to point their fingers on Deshaun Watson. The Texans, they're not going to lose draft picks, and they're not going to be fined anything. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I think it's going to come after kind of the verdict with Dan Snyder and the commanders. I think once that happens, and also more information comes out with that. Now, I think they should. They definitely had involvement. Oh, I, I think they should. It's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, they had involvement with helping out Deshaun Watson get these, so they should definitely get some disciplinary measures. But yeah, I think it'll happen maybe next year or when they have more information. I don't think it happens this year. I am going to sell as well. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for our show. I hope everybody had a good time. Thank you to Russell Baxter, Moneyline Mania, Chaz, as always, and his boys, his crew, for joining us, as always. 80% right, ladies and gentlemen. Handicappers! You gotta check out that segment. Moneyline Mania is the best segment when it comes to betting and sports betting, so tune in every single week on Saturday nights and listen to 
Chaz and the crew and they're disposing of their picks. I wish everybody a very, very happy and healthy weekend. We will be back on Saturday. Shout out to 495, the Elite Football League, Youth Football League. Shout out to Ben, Carey, Gerald, Filardi, and Al Brown for joining us on the Sports Lab Mounts this week. And keep up the good work here in Long Island. Until next week, this is Harold Marks and Speedy Petey saying goodnight, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.